0: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct.
1: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And while we are dying to talk about this whole new team, and that'll be probably the next pod called Whole New Team, right? Where we talk about just a a crazy summer that we haven't been able to talk to to, or talk about on a day-to-day basis but before we do that, we want to say a proper goodbye to three longtime Lakers that are champions with this team. And that's KCP, Kyle Kuzma, and Alex Caruso. Let's start with Contavious Caldwell-Pope. He was with Detroit, and it's funny, the musical chairs that the NBA can be. He was with Detroit, but he was coming off of his rookie deal. And he'd been in negotiations, you know, how those goes for different contract figures And fairly late in the game of free agency, the Detroit Pistons decide, you know who we want to be our starting shooting guard instead? Our old friend Avery Bradley, right? It's funny how all of these storylines are are tied together, right? And so that leaves KCP without a home fairly late in free agency. And the Lakers sign him to a one-year, I believe $18 million deal. And in the press conference, Rob Polenka called him, manna from heaven, right? And over that time, I, I've got some thoughts that I'll share in a bit, just seeing him kind of come out of his shell a little bit. He was very shy when when at least I first met him, and he he grew quite a bit in that respect, uh, all the way to the point where he was killing it in game... F- I'll always remember game four of the NBA Finals as a all-time great Laker role-player playoff game, right? What, what he did in that game. I've got a lot of them, but let's start with you, Darius. Favorite KCP memory?
2: If we're just talking about a specific memory for KCP it would probably be in those finals against the heat. KCP is sort of isolated at the top of the key um, shot clock running down. And that's basically where you typically would not want KCP, you know what, KCP to have the ball. That. right? right. right. Like, like that is not his bread and butter.
1: Right. Not his Go zone, get yeah. me a
2: shot against the shot clock. But he sort of, ball faked on Duncan Robinson, I believe, and, and got him up up in the air, drove hard to his right hand, and sort of got a scoop layup to go. And that play is one of my favorite KCP plays just because A, of like how important it was and and what it meant in terms of stakes and the part of the season and and everything else but also because I was a doubter of him famously on the pod. You, you know, when it was, when he was up for free agency, I was basically saying that I was ready to see him go. And i had had plenty of off pod, off Twitter, off everything conversations with people where I probably expressed even more frustration with him privately than I did publicly even. And To see him get to the point where he was making one of the biggest plays in a game at the highest stakes with NBA championships on the line was just a place I never really thought he would get to in a Lakers uniform for sure. It's sort of funny to say that one of my favorite moments of him was one where I was ultimately proven the most wrong I may have been out of any player who stuck with the Lakers for a long period of time. But that was the essence of KCP to me. Like he was a frustrating player to me for a good portion of of his Laker tenure, but ultimately proved stones as a role player. And when given the opportunity to step up in that run where a lot of things needed to go right for the Lakers to win, one thing that went right was KCP. And I'll never forget him as a Lakers role player, specifically for that climb that he took.
3: The guy that I was most wrong about was definitely Rajon Rondo. Uh, But I was on the pro-KCP island, and I felt like I was—it was me and Frank Vogel and the players, basically— Uh, for a while and that was that always colors it for me though some like when you have a certain element of support with your teammates and real support not just sort of the sound bites for on the air and stuff like that but when you have that built up it it tells me something about a guy and I also liked the fact that no matter how he was shooting he never let it impact how much he ran in transition How much he ran around screens, um, how much he competed on the defensive side of the floor. So those things to me were always going to line it up so that even if he had a bad shooting game over the course of, say, a playoff series, he was going to get put more on the table than he was going to take off. And then when he was hitting shots, they were really, really tough to beat. And so I won't necessarily point to just one specific memory. Darius just had a good one. But I think of the finals against Miami as emblematic of what KCP is. So, first of all, he was really good on defense the whole time, and this was a tough series for that because they had, you know, Duncan Robinson um, and or Her- uh, Tyler Hero, who came in pretty hot, and a couple of other guys like Dragic early in the series, and, and, you know, like when Kendrick Nunn came in off the bench, that really needed to be tracked closely, and you could count on him for that, and then on the other end, he ultimately shoots only 31% from three for the series, but that's mostly because in game two, he was two for 11 um, and they won that game rather convincingly. But if you look at games, three games, four, five, and six, three for eight, three for eight, two for seven. So again, not like terrific percentages, but enough to punish you for leaving the other guys open. He finishes with 15, 16 and 17 points in those three games to close them out. So that to me, like Pete, I know you're always about when you think of all the Lakers over the course of your life, You can't take that away from him right now. He was key to winning a championship, which is the whole point and what the Lakers do. And so that is the part that I'll focus the most on.
1: KCP should never have to buy a beer in Los Angeles again. I mean, we are rightfully so going to wax loquacious about how Alex Caruso played hard and gave it everything that he had later in the pod. KCP fits that too. And he was one of the most durable players in the NBA. There's, there was rarely ever a game where you're like, you know, KCP's not going hard in this game. There would be, in fact, when KCP was bad, it would be because he would turn the dial up too much. We saw that moment in this uh, Phoenix series, right? This past season, where KCP did not have a good offensive series. And there was that moment where LeBron's telling him to pick it up, right? Like KCP cared a lot. That's not true of every NBA player, right? Like KCP really wanted to do his best. He really wanted to contribute to the team. And that is something that when he... He needed somebody, right, to bring him back. Like, it's okay, calm down, right? Like, it, just keep doing what you do, you're a shooter. And you could see, without hearing the words, Darius, that LeBron was telling him in that moment, that I think that's what Mike's saying about that love and that real support that you get from your teammates. You earn that through that constant competitiveness, competitiveness, that constant doing what's right for your team and giving it everything you have. People around you can see that.
2: I don't know what LeBron was saying to him, right? He wasn't mic'd up. We'll never have the tape. But I can almost guarantee you it was some version of I'm passing to you for a reason. I believe in you. Yes, sir. And no matter how colorful the language could have been or not, I'm pretty sure that was the essence of LeBron's message in that moment. And it speaks to that belief in the way that you were saying. The other thing I will say about KTP is that before the Anthony Davis trade, he played on teams that were not... Expected to win very much, right? Like you mentioned the circumstances that he actually came to the Lakers, and it was sort of just like, oh, late in the game, they don't really have another option. And even in LeBron's first year, it was they have LeBron, but the construction of that team was always a little bit like, oh, this is a bit experimental, right? And the Lakers never really had a chance to play in high stakes games until after the AD trade. And it's the thing I will always appreciate about KCP is you never know who is built to step up or who is capable of stepping up in a big moment until you give them a big moment to step up in. And then, and and then they either do it or they don't. That's why I will always appreciate him because in that finals run, the Lakers needed their role players. They needed these guys to be ready for them. And the point that Mike made about Rondo, Rondo had been there and done that. He had done it with the Celtics. He had won a championship. He had been in deep playoff runs. He was the moniker of playoff Rondo existed for a reason. It's because he had already sort of shown that in these big moments, he could be there for you. But the rest of the Lakers beyond LeBron really and maybe Dwight right because of his history with Orlando that was so long before that no one else really had that reputation Mm -hmm. and so to see KCP sort of step into a role where he was arguably the team's third best player over the course of the entire playoffs right there were moments where he wasn't the third best it was Rondo or it was Dwight or it was someone else but over the course of the entire playoffs to see him step up the way that he did in big moment after big moment that's that is what makes him endearing to me and what and why he'll live on for me as as one of those really just strong lakers role players who will deserve mention as like a key guy from a championship team
1: yeah i have two uh Two things that stand out that I want to get to before we we move on. One on the court, and then one just a a personal anecdote. Just to start on the court, uh, KCP is a a high-speed player, and that's one of the reasons he's able to – play at that playoff level. And even at that finals level, he plays at a high rate of speed. Now, sometimes the shot is off within that, but there are certain players that after a certain point, the playoffs get too fast for them and his ability, there will always be this corner three that I think of from that game four that he drilled, I think to put us up four or six or something like that, but it was a big shot, right? It was like a minute 15 left or something like that. And he, he sprinted deep corner catches the ball across his body and immediately gets into his shot. And that's a that's a certain type of shooter's shot, right? That's not half-court offense. That's a transition three. And that's something that when you see guys working on their jumpers, whether it's in a practice or shoot-around or something like that, that's a whole different type of shooter, right? The guy who's sprinting from the backcourt to get to that deep corner three and then sprinting down to the other end and doing that. There's a certain amount of conditioning and care about your body and what kind of shape that you're in and respect for your job that you need to be in to play the way that KCP plays. And I really appreciate his ability to do that and his focus on that. And then uh, just lastly on a, a, uh, Oh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Just to jump in before you conclude. So I, I just always appreciated KCP and the way that if you ask him about something with basketball, the way that he answers it kind of mirrors the way that he plays and he's a very consistent guy, and he's not thinking too much about uh, about like what he's going to do on the court. He's going to play super hard. He's going to follow guys around the screen. Uh, he's going to sprint up and down in transition. He's going to shoot if he's open. You know, like he's he is just fully fully content with doing his best at those things that he has kind of figured out that he's good at over these years. And it's the same. It's just it's a very open transaction with him. He's always pleasant. About it, Uh, He's never very loquacious. He just sort of tells you what he thinks. And then he gets on and he does and he goes about his day. And it's just he's a super, super easy guy to have around. Super easy guy to have in the locker room for that. And again, even if some of the shots don't go in, which is going to happen, he's he's going to be um, the same type of guy with the exception of what you guys talked about when LeBron had to talk to him. And like if when the confidence got to him a little bit, it was like, no, Hey, d- keep, keep doing you. And then eventually he did again. And so now we can remember him. And And I, I just like, I like guys like that. There's a, there's a certain, you know, what you're going to get uh, with him and that was always appreciated.
1: Very much so. And I uh, I'll always remember his first media day, right? He's he was a guy grew up, you know, small town in Georgia, uh, went to, went to Georgia, university of Georgia, then played for the Pistons. These are not like, he didn't, let me put it this way his first media day with the lakers was my first media day with the lakers and there's a certain walking into the facility there's a bigness about the lakers right where you walk in and it's like it kind of takes your breath away it's it's big it's just really this big production and i noticed that in him on his first media day where you because i was going through that too just a certain amount of like looking around he was doing a photo shoot where they they do um the still photos were, and they like doing the swing dribbles where they get that still shot of the, the ball way out to the side. Right. And they're doing that. And he like, he flubbed it a couple of times because he, you could tell he was nervous and he was, you know, kind of stammering. There was just this whole like, holy crap. I'm here with the Lakers type of thing that I saw over the years. And and into this past year, every time, because I would chop up a lot of the post-game media availabilities and things like that. Like you said, Mike, he's not the most loquacious guy, but he was a lot more comfortable. And it was just really cool to see somebody – you know, that's – the ages that he was here were, what, 24 through 27, 28, right? That's a – Pretty formative stretch of a young person's life, and so it was just cool to see him kind of grow into and, and 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 become comfortable in his own skin. And speaking of that, Kyle Kuzma, Kyle Kuzma is another guy that that fits that description to me. We got Kuz uh, in the draft, late in the draft. He was a part of the eventual, uh, the eventual. He was part of the trade where we got Brook Lopez back and and a pick for D'Angelo Russell um had that monster summer league Darius in 2017 the the greatest summer league team of all time as Mike said the other day and I'm I'm going to push this agenda too uh ends up winning the MVP of the finals game right scores 30 in the finals had such a blast at, the, at that Vegas summer league and then his, his path, his road from the beginning of his career to where he is now, even prior to the NBA is a particularly interesting one to me. Kuz is always a guy that you've defended, D, right? He's, he's someone that you've seen the good in. So what will you remember about Kyle Kuzma? It's always
2: interesting to me to see how players evolve and change in order to find their path. Right. And I'm big on this in real life too, right? Like, When you're you're not supposed to be the same person when you're 25 that you were when you were 18. You're not supposed to be the same person when you were 32 that you were when you were 25 and on and on and on. Right. And Kuz is a player that I think has been adaptable. He's been coachable. He's been someone who off the court shows a certain amount of flair and personality. And on the court has, I think, slowly in in significant ways that I think in order to become more of a a quote-unquote winning player removed some of that flair from this game. Like, I will never forget that summer league run where it was Kuz shooting like running hook shots, going mm-hmm. down the, the shopping right lane line phenomenal and, man and and like step back shots and sort of like off the dribble moves and it was sort of like oh like who who is this dude right like this combo forward from utah that i'd never heard of right and the idea that he could be like, remember the Kuz Bi debates, and, and and who is going to be like the the next Lakers' great young player? And, and could it really be the dude who they drafted twenty seventh over all of these dudes who were drafted like in the top ten? Right, like the Julius Randle's and and the D'Angelo Russells and Lonzo Balls and Brandon Ingram's. But like, oh, but here is Kuz; he's the one who can get you thirty in in a game and there was always a certain maturity to his and polish to him as a basketball player then I thought man like this dude really has something but to see him c- continuously like take steps forward and improve incrementally in ways that help you actually win that's the thing that I think is so important when we talk about who Kyle Kuzma is as, as a player and why I'll always root for him regardless of where he goes, right? Like he may or may not stick in Washington. He could play on three or four more teams for the rest of his career, but I'm always going to remember Kuz, Mike, for all of the ways that he worked in order to get better and become a player who could contribute to a championship team?
3: No question. Uh, So I've got a real soft spot for Kuz as well. And it really does go back and start with that sub-league experiences. And so I've got all kinds of memories and stories just from that, and then look to where we are now. But I think about him in, in a way like this. So when I was in high school and really just all growing up, I was a rule follower, particularly for my parents. I didn't want to disappoint them. And so they they instituted or I had always had a curfew at the time, right, a, a curfew. And it was it was midnight. And I would whine about it a lot, especially after the point where I felt like I had earned their trust. And my friends were staying out later than that, and especially during senior year. And so this is an ongoing argument and they were just trying to this is the point of principle. It's hard for them to go to sleep if I weren't there, et cetera. And so I would complain and I would whine and I would I would even you know, I would act out some at home. But I would always be back at no later than 11.59, like always. I was always back. Re- I was not quite going to the, get to the point where I would test them. And with Kuz, wherever he might say, and he might have been disappointed at times, sometimes he wanted to, to score more, sometimes he didn't understand his role, but he always still uh, like came on the court and found some way to contribute. So he, m- he might let you know about it a little bit here and there, but you could still count on him um, to, to try and win, to try and get better. And I I just always appreciated that element of him that I think got sort of, I don't think he gets enough credit for that, whether it's because of the, like something stupid, like uh, fashion photos on IG, you know, like who cares? It, it, so Pete, if you want to weigh in on that, and then I, there is one game that I remember uh, that I want to get to.
1: Let's take a quick break. Come back, tell us about that game.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
1: All right, Mike. What, what's this game uh, that you remember?
3: I'm sure you guys remember this game, but Kuzma's rookie year. Final score: Lakers one twenty two, Rockets one sixteen. James Harden had fifty one points. He went to the free throw line twenty one times. Uh, Chris Paul played in this game, did not play well. Uh, he was minus sixteen.
1: This was at Houston, right?
3: This was at okay. Houston. Yeah, I remember. Yep. That. Uh, the starting lineup was was Lonzo, Josh Hart, Bi, Kuz. And Andrew Bogut, <laughs> believe it or not, wow. Bogut yeah. plays seven, and then but Larry Nance uh, Jr. ends up playing 22 minutes uh, in this one, and then uh, Julius only played eight minutes off the bench. Clarkson played 18, Caruso three, and then yep, Corey Brewer played 25 minutes, was seven for nine from the field, and I, I've been going on for too long about it, but 21 points off the bench from Brewer, not exactly expected, but Kuz in this game. 12 for 17 from the field, 7 for 10 from 3, 7 for 10 from the line, 38 points, 7 boards, 4 assists, 1 block, 0 turnovers. And I just, that was kind of the, wait, this, and this game was in, um, it was in kind of like the middle of the season. Yeah, I think the, so in the Lakers at this point, they were 11 and 17 going into that game, right? Young, Brad, but this was kind of like the, okay, hold on, wait, so we got Lonzo and B.I., Josh Hart is good. And then Kuz can give you 38 against like a real Houston team. That's going to get to the conference finals. And it was just a moment. It was kind of a, it was like the peak moment of hope, I think for the future for the kids and, and Kuz being the guy that handled the load like that uh, was awesome. So go, go back and try to find that game. If you, if you want to have some fun and, uh, and especially Darius, you talked about some of the shots that he makes like the, the weird, you know, like, Euro step from 15 feet out and then off glass somehow with the wrong hand at like an Anthony Davis angle, all that stuff, man, was happening in that game. So it was a lot of fun.
1: I hope you can get back to that, right? That's the player that I've seen Kyle Kuzma be an 18 point scorer in this league. And I've seen him be a solid wing defender that has some versatility that has some scoring pop here and there, there that can step in if one of your stars are out. I haven't seen him be that guy at the same time, and I hope he can do that in Washington because wings who can put the ball in the hoop in the high teens and have some defensive ability get paid really, really nicely, right? And that's something that Kuz's journey. Kuz was not a high rec- recruit. He ended up going to Utah, but was redshirted his freshman year. He was an end of the bench player at the University of Utah, which. Produces pros, but is not a hotbed, right? If you're a third stringer on the University of Utah, very low odds you end up in the NBA, right? He ends up working his way up there. Same thing's true with the Lakers. He was, I remember before that draft, he was projected as a second round pick, ends up creeping into the end of the the first round. I know San Antonio liked him as well, but he was not somebody that was part of uh, a a lauded class right like he was not somebody that it was like oh crap we drafted Kyle Kuzma from the moment that we drafted him and there's all this sorts of excitement now of course he goes on a tear in summer league and being crazy Laker fans as we are you know we were ready to it had been a minute since we'd seen good basketball, so seeing a fun team win something in, in Lakers colors was was certainly uh, enjoyable, and we got all aboard. And Darius, he was a guy, though, from the day he came in, like you said, could put the ball in the bucket. What are the next steps for him? How does he get to being that guy where he can put – we've seen different elements of his game, but not as much at the same time?
2: Well, here's what I'm hoping, and I hope this for Koos. For him, because I feel like it's something that based off of his comments over the course of the last season and a half or so, I think this is something that he craves for for himself. And I think that that's consistency of role and what's asked of him from night to night to night. Right. And I'm hoping that if he gets that, he could then channel the best parts of his game on most nights right? Because unless you're a super duper star, you're not going to be, I get you, 20 a night. I get you seven rebounds a night and I get you four assists a night. Right. Like those those could end up being your averages at the end of the season. But that's not what you're doing every single time you you step on the floor. There's going to be fluctuations there. There's going to be inconsistencies. We saw it even from like a guy like Chris Middleton in like the NBA playoffs. Right. Absolutely. And, And he is and Middleton's a star player. And I, th- I actually think that Middleton is sort of an aspirational guy for Kuz. Like if I was telling Kuz like, hey, here is someone that you're not going to actually play like him per se, but the journey in which you build mm. yourself up in order to become something. Middleton to me is like a great example of that. He's someone who was drafted in the second round, probably not too far below where Kuz was taken in the first round and was able to sort of like – find his way and get an opportunity on his second team and mm-hmm. and That's and right. really sort of start to be invested in and then show how work could turn into steadiness, which could then turn into production, which could then turn into something else, right? And so I'm hoping, Mike, that if Kuz can sort of become a like, hey, you're going to start you're going to get your 25 to 32 minutes a night you're we're going to run some plays plays for you and we're going to do this for you every single game if Like, if you have a bad game, guess what? Like, it doesn't matter. You're going to get the same reps, the same, like, the next game. Your role's not going to be changed from night to night because we have a star player who plays the same position as you or two star players who play your best two positions, right? Like, there is a certain amount of consistency that I think – Kuz craves and that he needs and I'm hoping he finds that because I think that that's probably the path that Pete was talking about like how does he get there I think that's a key part of that for him
3: and all of the circumstances around Kuz with the Lakers made it so difficult for that to happen because a being a late first round pick you're not going to just be all right here's the starting spot on a young team you're playing 32 minutes a night go and do this every night you're, or, or you have the latitude to do this. So, so that part of it in terms of consistency is out. Then you come in and sco- and show some scoring chops. Okay. Well, that team actually needed that. So now we're not even going to talk to you as much, or, or even if we'll talk to you, we're not going to emphasize the defensive stuff as much. Cause so, so then that happens then LeBron James and Anthony Davis come. So you're not starting. Okay. Don't <laughs> nope, nobody else right. in the whole yeah, league two
1: forwards, right?
3: Nobody <laughs> right. else in the league is starting over literally over those two guys. So, uh, so that happens. And then he's, so he's accumulating some different skills out of, out of necessity in order to play on that kind of a team. So it's just, I think that the other part of this is he's somewhat of a, and Middleton's a, a little bit to a degree to this too, but he's kind of like a tweener in terms of not a star, but not just a like three and D type role player that you can put into a box And so that becomes difficult, too. So if I have to tell you, all right, well, Kuz, here's what we expect from you every night. I don't know. I don't 100% know right now. And I've never missed a Kyle Kuzma game. (laughs) Okay? I don't know 100%. Okay, well, what do we want him to – like the three of us would have to talk about that probably, you know?
1: Well, that's part of that's part of what's great about him, Mike, is that he is adaptable, right? This is this is both a strength and a weakness for him. That's my my point. He can be anything that you need him to be, but sometimes you need to be something, right? Like, and it needs to be something that. I think I think Washington's a good place for him, frankly. I think that that's somewhere where amongst their forwards, he stands out as a scorer, right? Like they've got Denny, they've got Rui, they've got all these guys, they've got Bertans that have specialties or like Rui is a guy who's a, a great athlete. He's a great run and jump guy, right? They're, they don't quite have a Kyle Kuzma. And I think that having space to be the guy that he can become, because there is a certain amount of the frustration with Kuz that I, I certainly think is warranted. Right, I don't care about the IG stuff or he, if people find him annoying on social media. I I don't care at all. Yeah, there That's is tough. also a certain degree of like, hey, we need we need this from you tonight, right? Like we needed we need you to be able to fill in this spot, fill in that spot. But I think in his instance, being out of that environment where having to contour to the existing structure of the team will allow him to be, I think it's a more free and open environment for him to thrive in, and somewhere where I think he'll be able to put those two things together.
3: Just to add quickly, it's kind of summarize, So, to answer my own question as to what I would expect or want from him, so I think that he can be a starter because I think that he's good enough defensively on the wing um, to, and not necessarily to take the primary guy. But if he can be the secondary wing defender on a team, and then just get a certain amount of touches on offense, so that he can find some of that mm-hmm. rhythm, it, so some threes, some drives to the hoop, some plays for him to get the ball in the middle, uh, where he can get at you, like I, that's a that's a really good player there, and so that. Now, I, I, I do think that he can start and I think that he can establish himself in a dual role there. Um, and if he's not up to the task defensively, for example, then fine. Like you can you can still put him on the bench and give him a ton of, and have him be kind of like a super, a super six man um, in that sense as a scorer. But I, I still think there's a potential for him to be a two way starter in the league and, and would love to see it next year.
2: Me as well. I'm going to miss Kuz. I think that he probably never got enough credit for his versatility and the differences in asks that he's had to sort of try to reach on any given night, much less over the course of his entire career. Um, and he probably caught a bit too much like bullseye and spotlight on when he wasn't as good as he needed to be. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's a harsh environment to live in yeah. when you're a young player. And it's one of the reasons why the Lakers isn't a place for everyone, I don't think. But Kuz was one of the guys where I thought he sort of embraced that. And for better or for worse, right. But I think for the most part, he understood what it meant. To play for the Los Angeles Lakers and he went out there and he was always going to give you his all. And I think that goes back to the point that Mike made at the very beginning, which, which was, would he maybe cryptically say some stuff every once in a while that expressed a certain amount of, of discontent? Yeah. But when he went out there to actually play on the court, you never got the sense that he was pouting. You never got the sense that he was disappointed with anything. He was out there trying to win the damn game. And I always appreciated that about Kuz and best of luck to him in Washington.
1: Absolutely. Best of luck to Kuz. I hope he uh, has the space and freedom to, to shine in a role that I think he's ready to, to step into. Now, we're going to wrap up on Alex Alex Crusoe. We have a lot to say on the circumstances of Caruso's departure, uh, but we're going to give that a little bit of time, uh, and that that's going to be a whole podcast in and of itself. This pod is to celebrate his time with the team, and I'll never forget the uh, I was I was operating under a form blue and gold credential. Uh, in the Lakers practice facility as a, a lowly blogger where only only Mike and a couple of other people, uh, you know, put their arm around me and, 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 and uh, wished me well. And I was looking for an NBA player. I just wanted to talk to an NBA player one-on-one. And I knew I wasn't getting Lonzo Ball or Brandon Ingram. Right? This is before LeBron. And... Alex Crusoe, I'd seen him play in Summer League, right? There was a, a great game, great Summer League game during that run where Alonzo did not play and Crusoe started against a rookie De'Aaron Fox and actually outplayed De'Aaron Fox and showed some athleticism. And there's just a certain degree of like, who the hell is this guy? Like, this guy's pretty fun, right? And so training camp comes around. I get the chance to talk to Alex one on one, and we have this conversation about just what it's like to play point guard, right? Because he he was the guy where I was, I was I asked the MR team like, "Hey, would I be able to talk to Caruso?" They're like, "Yeah, that's fine, sweet." And so we have this conversation, and he was he was the nicest guy and total basketball dork. We talk about playing the point guard position, different elements of that, and we saw him grow. Man, he was somebody that went through. The G League went through, you know, end of the bench guy, called up at the end of a weird year type of thing, ends up getting re-signed. He was Lakers' first two-way contract and works himself up to the pinnacle of being a starter in game six of the NBA Finals, the final game of the NBA Finals, and was an excellent contributor throughout.
3: And that is my game, if I have to pick one, because it's such an emblematic Alex Caruso look at the box score all this time later before and don't look at the plus minus column yet just look at the counting stats and you if you hadn't watched the game you'd be like well wait a second he so he started played 33 minutes he was two for seven from the field missed both his threes had uh, three rebounds okay five assists and one turnover that's good one steal one block okay so now let's enter now let's consider the plus minus column he was plus 20 guess what best on the team Okay, two more than LeBron, than LeBron, two more than Anthony Davis. And I don't know how many times you and I, the three of us, had the same exact conversation, whether it was on text before I joined the pod or before, about the value of Caruso and how, it, how it, you had to watch the game and you had to then talk to the players afterwards and talk to the coaches. But it was, it was so obvious even in the summer league, right, that when he was on the court, they were better. And that that game, the fact that at the start of the game, we didn't know what was going to happen with the starting lineup. We we thought that, you know, A.D. was probably going to get moved to the five. But then Caruso came in and it was kind of Frank Vogel's acknowledgement all along because there had been so much the discussion about, uh, you know, Rondo and Caruso and in playing time and uh, all of this closing lineups, starting line. And then, boom, when you actually who, who do you really trust the most? And that's what the lineup was. So that's my game um, if I have to pick one that is most
2: emblematic of his time with the Lakers. Alex Caruso, man. Frank Vogel's secret weapon. Yeah. Verbatim. Right from the head coach's mouth. Alex Caruso is not an original Laker. He came up with OKC in their farm system. Basically, and the Lakers sort of plucked him away on that greatest Summer League team of all time. And there was something magical about that run that that Summer League team went on that I think not only captivated fans, but got them invested in almost every single player that was on that team. That's a great point. Yeah. And like, honestly, man, like, you know who got waved the other day by the Utah Jazz? Matt Thomas. Yeah. Thomas got waved the other day. Yeah. Matt Thomas was on that Lakers team. Right. And I'll never forget just thinking this dude can play and just remembering like, oh, Matt Thomas is back in the league. He's with the Raptors. Oh, he got traded to this team and now he's on the Jazz. And he is some random dude that maybe 100 NBA fans outside of the people who listen to this pod even know. But that was our investment in that team. We followed a lot of those dudes, whether or not they were with the Lakers anymore or not. And so Alex Caruso, he wasn't the number two overall draft pick. He wasn't even a first round draft pick. He was literally some guy that you thought the Lakers found off of the street. And the way he looked balding white dune looked like he could have come off the street like he was an accountant although there is i always
3: say this if you stand next to him like he's big yeah. he's six five he's he's got muscle sinew popping out so oh, like, yeah i just like to I, put will put
1: miss, just I will the miss the headshot Mike.
3: only the headshot oh. looks like that if you go <laughs> up to next to him and you're like you do not that's all i'm saying like he looks like a pro athlete that's all i just, just want to put that out there
1: Mike, I am going to miss you describing in detail the muscular nature of Alex Caruso. That's going to be right near the top of the things that I miss.
2: Anyway, continue. D. You're welcome. I'm <laughs> Car- Caruso, though, and so Caruso is to me the classic definition of a fan favorite in this way. For. Because at first a fan favorite is the dude who you don't expect to do anything and sort of does a few things and it's sort of like the human victory cigar It's just like, oh, like that guy, he's fun. Right. Sure. He's fun. I'm gonna root for him because he maybe looks a little goofy or kind of the underdog, right? Or he plays or he plays so sparingly. Or he is the underdog guy and he gets five or six minutes a game, maybe an end of the bench guy. And for a while, Caruso was that. And he would come in and he would get a dunk and it would be like, oh my goodness, look at the white boy fly. He's the bald eagle. He's all these things. And like the Lakers called, they called him the goat. And it was sort of like, it was a joke at first. Right. And, but over time, What you realized was, and if you were watching the entire time, if you were actually watching the entire time, what you actually realized is, it's like, no, this dude's good at basketball. He is a, he makes winning plays. He does the little things really well. And if, and if you let him continue to play, those things are going to translate. Just trust us on this. Just trust us. And I feel like for about a season and a half, when he was just a two-way player, it was a lot of just trust us.
1: Sure. Right? Well, And getting opportunity in the NBA is difficult. The guy might be able to play, but that there are a lot of other things that factor into that, including the other guys that you're going up against. And so Mike, over time, as he started
2: to get more minutes And he started to show that he actually could play in the NBA and then the Lakers get LeBron and it's sort of like, Oh, look at this synergy and chemistry that he has with, with LeBron Like, Oh, did you look at the box score? Oh wait, look at the point of attack defense. Look at the help defense. Now look at the transition and look at the dunks and Oh, he was plus 20 and the Lakers won by five. Oh, he was plus 17 and, and he was that in 13 minutes Right. And it's sort of like, wait, he's actually really good now. And the just trust us became don't you see it now. Sure. Right. And 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 so he becomes a fan favorite for a whole nother reason, not because he's the sort of accountant looking white dude who dunks on Kevin Durant on a follow tip. (laughs) right? Right. He is the fan favorite because when he plays, you win. Yeah.
1: We go and, on a 12 to two run at some point.
2: Yeah. Right. And, and so my favorite players have always been the best players. And so when I'm talking about Alex Caruso as one of my favorite players, it's because he's actually one of the best players. He's one of the dudes that helps you win the basketball game. And, and so out of all of the dudes that we're saying goodbye to, and all of these guys who were sort of like giving them their, their just due, Caruso, to me, he wasn't a first round pick. He wasn't mana from heaven, right? He was a two-way contract guy who built his way up into being a high quality championship level role player that when it was time to go win the game and not just win the game, but win the damn championship. He was one of the dudes who the head coach said, you, you, you're the one I trust. And there is something in that to me that will live with, I it'll live with me and I'm sure it'll live with both of you for like, as long as you follow the team.
3: Yeah. And, and I'll, so I'm going to, I'll save, you know, talking personally just about how much, how much I enjoyed covering him and, and got to know him throughout a series of interviews, all that kind of stuff. And just keep this to the basketball uh, for a second. And I think that, The the players that have the real success and whether we want to judge that through just winning or plus minus or however you want to measure it, it's a combination of mental and physical. And his mental is is one of the biggest reasons he clicked with LeBron because he was smart enough to know when to cut to the hoop, when to set a screen at the right angle, when to all of these things that LeBron, it just comes so quickly to him that another player that can see it like that, it's just going to work. But the second part, and this is why I, I made sure to point out his physique or his athleticism is because he had the physicality and the athleticism to be able to execute on what his That's brain right. was letting him do. And that that is the difference between like a high level NBA player and a lot of guys that get stuck with one or the other in college. Like a, a, in a, I'm saying a great college player, but either like a great thinker or a great athlete. And he had both elements. Now, he didn't have – he does not have overwhelming skill, um, whether that's you're right. talking about handle or shot – like those kind of things where uh, where some other players have that in spades. Like the way that Wayne Ellington shoots a, a basketball or something like that. Like that's not the same exact thing. But he's got the athleticism plus the brain that's pretty unique um, at that level. And and so like that to me is, is why I think he had – the success he had, and, of course, the work rate gets mixed into that. And you have to work towards those things, and you have to be obsessed with winning. But if you go back and just read his story of playing basketball, it's always been like that for him. He's always, at every level, he's found some way eventually to wear down, you know, the high school coach and then the college coach and then the G League coach and then the NBA coach. Like, eventually, it might take him a second because the skill set isn't that obvious right away, but the more that you watch it work and the more that the the stats – Back it up and thank goodness for the advanced stats, which is basically how I I used all of my arguments um, or not arguments, all of my questions as to, hey, uh, the two man lineup grouping with Caruso and LeBron. That's pretty good, right? (laughs) You know, like all those kind of questions in the press conference, Um, those types of things, I think, back up uh, what what was you were seeing on the court. And uh, and that was a joy to watch evolve over the years.
1: It's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure watching all all of these guys play. With Alex in particular, losing him has been such a gut punch. And again, we're gonna do a whole pod on the transactional aspects of it, right? Like the you know the composition of the roster. That's not what this pod is for. It's to remember and and appreciate. But in losing Alex, I've been thinking because it's different than KCP and Kuz, right? That's a trade. You're getting you're getting Russell Westbrook back. And, and, in Alex's case there's no tangible return there's no tangible reason why did he leave and and why is why would basketball people decide nah, we're going to go in another direction and I'm and I'm very happy with the overall composition of the roster don't get me wrong but Alex is a really good player and it's difficult to be a very good player when you're 6'4" 6'5" and you don't have much of a handle not by NBA standards you don't have much of a jump shot, not by NBA standards. Now I know he shot 40% for, for three and that's on mostly stationary, so the easier jumpers, but he's not a pure shooter. And we've seen in two straight playoffs, right? The percentages on his jumper drop. That's just the nature of his game. He is not, he's not a natural shooter. He's worked his way to being competent and passable. But what he helped me get an appreciation for, and this is in conjunction with LeBron, is the idea of advantage extension that I talked a lot about this season, right? The knowing when to cut at the right time, as you said, knowing when to set that that pin screen, knowing when to rotate on defense or on your X-outs, on your X-out closeouts that, oh, this is the next place that I'm going to, just a quarter of a second faster than than the next guy. That is something that on its own, it's interesting to me that yeah, we'll talk more about this in the pod about losing Crusoe, But I think Alex has more value to a team like us than to most teams because LeBron is the dance partner, right? Like Le- LeBron is the guy that when Alex goes and cuts at this time, LeBron knows exactly what that means and sees exactly the same thing and in instantaneously in a way that other players do not. And so That advantage extension doesn't matter without the more important pieces, which is the creation and then the finishing of it. But it does matter. Right. It's like a side dish on a great plate. You might you might love the green beans, but if the steak was bad, you're not going back to the steakhouse. Right. And but Alex, Alex showed me a lot, Darius. And let's wrap up uh, with your thoughts on this, on just those in between parts of the game and the, the value of those elements of basketball.
2: One of the reasons why Alex is one of my favorite players from this short window in which he was on the team is because of all of the things that you said, Pete, it's instincts, it's feel, it's understanding. And that speaks to Mike's mental point, right, about being able to think the game. But there's also feeling the game and understanding the game and you do not have time to think when you're on the basketball court, not an NBA basketball court. You may be able to be out there and think when Mike's made jokes about playing with his kids, right? When you've got all this advantage, maybe you have time to think, right? I've got all this physical advantage. I can do whatever I want. I'm just going to think, right? Oh, I'm do- I'll am i do this right now. Let me go between my legs and cross over and that dude's going to fall and then I'm going to go over here, on an NBA court, milliseconds can be the difference between a successful play and a, and a total failure. And Caruso, his feel for how to operate in those middle spaces, how to operate in and and be that sort of connective tissue between. The player with the ball and the player who's going to finish the play, right? There was one of the last plays, great plays that Alex made that I'll remember was at the end of the last regular season game between the Suns and the Lakers. And this was the Anthony Davis game. And we're going to remember it as, oh, man, that was the game that will always have us wistful about what the Lakers could have done in the first round against the suns. If everyone had been healthy, particularly AD, but AD was dominant that game against the suns, his last basket, was there was a bunch of switching that the suns had done and devin booker had ended up on ad in the post and booker was trying to get around in three-quarter front and ultimately got in front of of ad and alex is seeing all of this from a different part of the floor and he doesn't have have the ball he flashes middle
1: yeah mark has the ball right around mark has the ball right around half court on the right sideline and ac flashes middle And AC flashes middle, and he doesn't think an
2: instant. He instinctively understands exactly what the situation is. He throws a lob right over the top, almost a touch pass lob. As soon as he catches it, because he he knew exactly where he was going to go. Right. And AD goes up, reverse dunk, and one foul, right? And AD's pointing at the crowd and screaming and like, I'm back. That's right. And that may have been the highest moment the Lakers had felt really all season to that point. And who was in the middle of that play? Alex Caruso was in the middle of that play. And if there's a lasting memory that I will have of him, it's that it's in, in the middle of all of this superstars, right? There's a superstar here. There's a superstar there. One has the ball. The other one is dunking. Who is in the middle? A lot of times it was Alex Caruso. And that's why he was one of my favorites.
1: The stuff in the middle matters. It matters. It Not as much as the superstars. Nowhere close. But the stuff in the middle matters for sure. And that's what I
2: got on AC. And it's why I'll miss him.
1: Yeah. The, the guys like that are rare. I'm, I'm going to miss all these guys. And we're very grateful and appreciative of their contributions to a Lakers championship. I hope that one day we talk of them uh, as we do, you know, your Rick Foxes and Derek Fishers and the guys that that helped us win a, other titles. Thank you to Kenny, to Kuz, and to Alex for, for all that. Uh, we will be back tomorrow to discuss how this is an entirely new team, and in their place, we've got a whole new cast of characters. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
2: Danger's got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Kips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good, That
0: next to the winner, it's on the left side! Toby Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, Shaq with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed, a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Toby hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me?
3: Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Ready pass. And it's back to a three-point game.
2: Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell.
0: There's the Go, move. Two, one. Missed Unbelievable. <laughs> it's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah!